Welcome to a special edition of the Darden Admissions Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, we welcome back an old friend, Greg Fairchild. Greg wears many hats here at the Darden School of Business. He's a member of the faculty. He's the Associate Dean for Washington, D.C. Area Initiatives. He's the Academic Director of Public Policy and Entrepreneurship. And he was also recently named Dean and CEO for UVA's Northern Virginia Initiatives. A uh, very busy guy, but always so generous with his time. We welcomed him back to the podcast to talk more about some of the things he's been working on in the Washington, D.C. area, as well as a new scholarship opportunity here at the Darden School of Business, the Breakthrough Scholars Program. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with Greg Fairchild. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Brett, how are you? Doing well. You know, it's, it's funny to talk to you on Zoom. Uh, it feels like we're spending more time together in Roslyn these days, which is great. You know, I, I'm enjoying my time back and forth. Uh, this morning, I'm in Charlottesville, and I'll be back in the offices in Roslyn on Monday. So I'll see you then. Awesome. Well, you know, I, I just I just saw you, but for our listeners, you know, I want to check in with you. There's a lot happening for you right now. So uh, first of all, congratulations on the new role. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it for those who haven't been following UVA-related news as closely? Well, in the last week, Brad, I was announced as the Dean and CEO of UVA Northern Virginia. And it's a, it's a role that I'm excited to be in. It's a role that I've been thinking about for a while. I've been doing strategy work for President Ryan over the last really three years in thinking about what we were going to do in Northern Virginia. And for anyone that was paying attention to things like President Ryan's strategy documents that he was releasing, one of the nine strategies and priorities for the university was, in fact, expansion into Northern Virginia. So we knew that there was an appetite and interest in expansions in the market. The question was when we would move and how we would move. And being involved in the strategy work, I just got more excited as I saw the opportunities. And so when I was asked whether I'd be interested in being directly involved rather than just in an analytical or strategic way, I jumped. Well, that, that's awesome. And I, I think of it as, you know, you've been doing a lot of similar work here for, for Darden. You're the, you're the Dean for DC initiatives, in addition to being a member of the faculty um, and have done a great job in that role. And it's been fun to work alongside you as we kind of think about, you know, what's happening here, here in DC. You know, the, the launch of the executive MBA program in DC in 2015, it was a great and exciting project. I had the great opportunity to lead the faculty committee that planned that through. We launched, I think your listeners may already know, we are the largest executive MBA program in Northern Virginia, in the region. We've made a lot of noise and we're going to continue to do so. And Having thought back then to what we thought the possibilities might be in Northern Virginia, Washington, it's really exciting to see where we are now, and I'm excited to see where we're going to go. I was doing the math the other day. So we, we announced in June uh, a new format of the Darden MBA, part-time MBA. Uh, should note, uh, we are recording this on the 30th of September. This is one day before our first part-time MBA deadline, October 1. So a uh, very exciting time for us uh, who work closely with the part-time MBA program and recruiting those students. And when that cohort matriculates, Greg, if I'm doing the math right, 
we'll have around 400 students or so between the two executive MBA classes, the part-time MBA cohort and the MSBA cohort learning out of the UVA Darden DC Metro location, Sands Family Grounds. It's kind of incredible. Brett, it's incredible in the sense that, you know, as a member of the strategy team, some of us uh, sniggle a little bit because there were discussions we had when we were really thinking about this on whether there would be the market demand we hoped for. We've done some market research, but I have to tell you, and I'll tell the listeners, we were thinking that, gee, if we could just break 50, 60 participants in Northern Virginia, we'd feel really good about this. And here we are, and you're throwing numbers that are multiples of that. This is separate from the work we'll do as we bring the new part-time MBA into the market in the coming year. And you and I know there are already a number of joint venture projects that we do with the, the School of Data Science, with the McIntyre School. And so we're really believing Northern Virginia is a place where we can experiment, but we can collaborate in ways that perhaps we haven't always done here in Charlottesville. Well, exciting times indeed. And you are a repeat guest here on our admissions podcast. It's great to have you back. Before, but for some of our listeners who may not have had the, uh, an opportunity yet to hear those earlier conversations, tell us a little bit more uh, about you and um, what brought you back to the Darden School, I should say. Well, Brett, you had the benefit of my long-term story. I, I, For those of you that are listening that are thinking about becoming Darden students or those of you that are listening that are Darden students, I, uh, I am a Darden alum. And when I was a student at Darden, I had this wonderful opportunity during the second year to write a case study. And the case study was about a Pizza Hut op operation that had opened only a year earlier, earlier in Moscow. The case was called Pizza Hut Moscow, <laughs> really creative title. But the case, uh, I had the great experience of seeing it taught during my second year by a wonderful professor who just retired, Elliot Weiss. And I, I just caught the bug of, I loved the classroom as a student, but the idea of watching the learning happen was exciting for me. A little bit after that, a few of the faculty started recommending to me or talking to me about getting a PhD. Uh, at the time, I wasn't as interested in doing that because I was heading on to be a marketing person in the cosmetics and fragrance world. Went on and did that, but eventually I did apply to the PhD and I came back to Darden, what is now 21 years ago. And it's been a great run. I, I've seen old friends, people I've known for years. I've met new friends, people that I now feel like I'm a part of their lives and they're a part of mine. And, you know, I've been, uh, I've been a professor here largely in entrepreneurship and certainly in the strategy area. But you and I, Brett, share a long running dialogue about fiction literature. And believe it or not, listeners, that's something I've also had the wonderful pleasure of doing over my 10 years, uh, over the last 10 years at Darden, is teach an elective called Business Ethics Through Literature. And it gives me wonderful excuses to read novels on a regular basis. Well, Greg, I want to ask about a class uh, that I noticed in the elective listing for the Executive MBA program. And it, the title is something like, what would I do differently or have done differently? <laughs> and it caught, it caught my eye because, well, 
you know, normally classes are titled something like investments or, or <laughs> you know, uh, the consulting method or you know, something like that, much, much more sort of direct. What, what, what would I do differently? I'm like, oh, I wonder what that's about. And then I read the description and it sounds like such an interesting class. Tell us a little bit more uh, about well, this class. Well, it is a new, it's a new initiative. So Brett, listeners, uh, stay tuned. We'll have to tell you how it comes out. The idea and impetus, Brett, is this notion that one of the things we've become accustomed to is that when you hear from leaders, that you're going to hear from them about a story of one of their successes. So you can imagine that the uh, if, you, if you've done anything like watch some of the, the movies that are meant to be about Steve Jobs, those movies portray Jobs in his great moments. What this particular course is meant to do is to say, well, actually, there are some other moments. And we're meant to give students, and me, by the way, I'm excited about this class, the opportunity to sit with and hear from business leaders and the pitch really is exactly as you describe. The students will come into the room, they'll have a case in front of them, and the case will leave a cliffhanger. It'll be a case that says, Brett Twitty was deciding how he would think about a given challenge. For you, it might be the way you think about staffing and deploying your admissions team. And the students will read through the case and the case will have a richness in it where there'll be two or three options that could be debated that Brett Twitty could choose to follow. And the way we'll do it is we'll lead a discussion where the students will do what we do all the time. They'll try to put themselves in the seat of the protagonist. The nuance for this particular class is that we're actually going to have the protagonist in the room. We've recruited 14 really significant business leaders. So CEOs of companies, presidents of companies, and they're going to be in the room and they're going to say, hey, let me tell you about this time I was deciding on this decision. I could have chosen door A, B, or C. And the students will give their thoughts. And then toward the end of the class, the, the guest of the day will say, well, here's what I did, or here's what I didn't do. And here's what I learned. And by the way, a number of those stories will be about mistakes that they made. That's a lot of vulnerability for a class. I would imagine for someone to come in and say, let's talk about, you know, maybe one of the my not so great days um, in front of a you know, group, group of people. That, that's um, maybe not the easiest thing for folks to do. You know, you're so right. And we were so surprised when we first started rolling the idea out to these CEOs. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, people have this notion that uh, what they're doing is historical. And so since what they're doing is historical and it becomes legacy, oftentimes they want the story to be the most amazing one. You know, one of the CEOs we talked to said, not only did she leap at this opportunity, but she said, you know, one of the things she faces is that her communications team or her PR team or her legal team are often worried that if she says certain things in certain settings, even things that acknowledge error, that those things will end up hurting the company in some way. So she's often discouraged. What she's excited about 
is that this is going to be a closed space. It's going to be a closed room. And she's going to have a, a really, to use your word, vulnerable conversation with the audience. Where did the inspiration for this class come from? <laughs> well, um, <laughs> shall we say, Brad, I, I, as a Darden student, I sat through about 250, 300 cases. I have written 100 and changed myself. And uh, that tendency to recreate the past in a way that makes it seem like I knew all the answers and all the steps to take is a really seductive one. And it's one that I think is both understandable, but at the same time may not really represent the way we really make decisions when we're in leadership positions. And so, so it was my idea. And, and my idea came from that uh, recognition of something I felt was missing from some of the discussions that I'd had in classrooms over many years. Well, I look forward to hearing more uh, about that class. Uh, I want to ask about a couple more things until before we get to the topic that we're here to talk about today, which is the Breakthrough Scholars Program. But you're a very busy person. You're doing a lot of things. And so I, I had to ask about that class. And I also want to ask about one other thing here. So um, the DC Dean's Fellows, uh, this is an initiative that you've also been involved with. And I don't think we've had a chance to talk about it here on the podcast, but I think of it as part of this whole, you know, what's happening in the, in the Washington DC area for the Darden School. Um, you wanna just share a little bit uh, about what that initiative is? Well, it's, it's an initiative that Scott Beardsley and I talked about and launched uh, last year and we had thought, gee, we're entering this new market. We really want to come in and make a splash and we want to make connection. And one of the great things about a global city like Washington is the opportunity for you to see, connect with, and talk with people who are leaders in their fields and to engage in thought-provoking discussions with them. And so the DC Dean's Fellows are not a governance board for us, but they're a board through which we generate ideas. We just had a great discussion with them on Tuesday of last week, um, 14 of them discussing the return to work questions we're all facing. What will the future of work look like? And it's fascinating to be in the room with these 14 individuals who come from these very disparate industries and have them talk about what they're seeing, what they're feeling, what they're worried about in the world of returning to work and how they think about structuring and running their firms. At the same time, this group of people are people we're bringing into the classroom. So, you know, one of these is the president of Atlantic Media. Um, his name is Michael Finnegan. And he's gonna do this wonderful, what we, we have a program called Leadership Unscripted. And Atlantic Media, as you know, publishes The Atlantic, but also a number of other uh, publications. We're going to do a tete-a-tete, -a, -tete, a leadership unscripted conversation with Michael Finnegan and a man named Michael Suarez, who is runs the university's rare book collection and is a university professor. And the two of them are going to be talking about the world of publishing, the world of publishing then and the world of publishing now. And we're looking forward to that. That's one of the ways we engage the DC Dean's Fellows. Another DC Dean's Fellow um, is Paula Kerr, the current president of PBS. 
And she's going to be speaking before one of our um, women in leadership programs. Um, you know, also uh, DJ Norquist worked for the World Bank for the Economic Innovation Group. Uh, she's going to be uh, talking as well in that women in leadership program. And so we're really bringing forth this range of leaders to share their perspectives. We do that all the time, but we have this wonderful cluster of people who are in DC. And here's one more thing. They're excited about getting to know each other. So when they're in the room together, it's amazing to see them pulling over and having a cup of coffee and then talking about things they'd like to work on that have something to do with Darden, but may have nothing to do with Darden. That's really cool. Well, I appreciate your touching on, on that. Um, I, it's one of those things, there's obviously news about it uh, this summer, um, but with you here on the podcast, I, I couldn't pass up the opportunity to, to talk about it. And I'm sure we'll be hearing more. It sounds like we've got at least a, a Leadership Unscripted ser series in, in our future. Um, so uh, excited about that. Those have been great talks and you know they've been running virtually. And so for folks listening to this podcast, keep an eye on the, on the website. Uh, those are open events. Uh, to anybody who wants to come and listen to the conversation. So um, a couple a couple um, things that have been on my mind, Greg, as we thought about podcast guests here for the fall and winter schedule is we had to get Greg Fairchild on here to talk about Breakthrough Scholars, uh, the Breakthrough Scholars initiative at Darden, because this is a, a new scholarship initiative and uh, it's it has a, a particular focus in, in, you know, we're trying to get the word out and the podcast is a great way to do that. So tell us a little bit more about what this initiative is, and then we can talk a little bit more about where the idea came from. So what is it first and foremost? So first and foremost, it's a, it's a, it's a competitive selective scholarship that provides certainly funding, but more importantly, a network, a cohort, and, and an opportunity to interact with leaders in the venture capital, private equity, and asset management industries. And this scholarship um, really creates this curated set of activities for a select group of people. We're very interested in hearing from people from around the country that are interested, or and by the way, or even think they're interested possibly in being in the venture capital private equity industry. Now, having said that, Venture capital and private equity are incredibly sexy and lots of people are interested, but we're also in this work responding to a challenge that this industry has had. Anyone who knows anything about the industry and, and be easy for your listeners to Google and look around. This is an industry which at a time in America, we're talking a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion. It's a relatively uh, uh, less diverse industry, at least in terms of who's in it. So, you know, when we think about, for example, women, what we know is that the majority of venture capital firms in the United States, Canada, North America, Europe, and Asia are generally run by teams that happen to be overwhelmingly male. So for example, what we know in a study done by Crunchbase is that 13, 15% of the partners in American and venture American venture capital firms are uh, women. So 87%, 85% aren't. We also know is that um, when we think about racial diversity, 
we know that the VC industry likewise has had some challenges. So that said, we know that there are single digit numbers for blacks, about 4% is what recent studies show, one that you can find in the VC human capital survey, about 4% of uh, VC professionals are black, about 4% happen to be, la happen to be Latinos. Um, Asian Pacific Islanders have much higher percentages, sometimes around 19%. But even having said that, if you think about uh, those numbers, we're really talking somewhere in the 30% number for uh, the percentage of non-white professionals in the industry. So combining these two together, we see, Dean Beardsley, myself, the leadership team, see a real opportunity to help the industry with something they've recognized as a challenge. And I want to point that out. Um, the VC industry isn't hesitating, isn't um, saying that this isn't a problem. There are a number of prominent VC professionals and firms, Blackstone, Goldman Sachs, um, the Yale Endowment, for example, who have come out and said, this is something that needs to change. And as they have, they've been looking for partners to help them actually effectuate this change. And that is where academic institutions like Darton come in. This is something, we, we're in the business of producing talent. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna start attracting talent that, that wants to go to these industries so that we can be a funnel. We're also going to help prepare that talent because the industry is still a mystery to a lot of people. One more thing, there've been a lot of discussions about diversity and equity and inclusion in the United States over the last few years. I don't want us to miss the importance of the venture capital industry in helping to grow economies. It's a, it's a strategically important industry for the growth of innovation, of entrepreneurship and technology. What we also know is that Studies not only show that there are a lack of diverse professionals in the industry, but there's also a lack of diverse dollars. So estimates are that about two and a half percent of all VC dollars go to women-led firms and estimates are that less than that go to firms run by Latinos or Blacks. And so we think that by changing the demography of the field, we can help change the demography of who gets invested. And that we think means our economy will grow faster and all of us will benefit by having a more inclusive financial system. Well, Greg, thank you for, for sharing all that information. And for folks who are listening to this and saying, gosh, that sounds really interesting to me. There's a whole webpage out, out on our website about this scholar, scholarship opportunity. Uh, it's open to full-time MBA applicants as well as executive MBA applicants. So if you're curious, you just want to know a little bit more about it and kind of read a little bit more about the process, you can check out the website. Um, I, I do want to follow up on you know venture capital, private equity. Um, these are things when you start entering this kind of business school world, you hear these uh, terms a lot. Um, but I think just folks don't quite know sometimes what it means and, and maybe afraid to ask, excuse me, uh, what, what does a venture capital firm mm -hmm. do? Um, what, mm -hmm. what does it mean to work in private equity? So let's, let's take that first thing first, venture capital. What, is that, what does that mean? What does that look like, Greg? 
Well, you know, you're so right, Brett, uh, about the lack of awareness. It's a phrase people have heard and they know there's energy around it and they, they hear big numbers being thrown. But I don't know that a lot of us, some of us grew up in households where venture capital was talked about at the dinner table, but a lot of us didn't. I certainly didn't. When I arrived at business school, I, I there weren't a whole slew of people that were thinking about venture capital or private equity, but goodness gracious, those were new terms to me. What I can tell you is that the field, as it were, is a group of individuals that operate as brokers. So they, they, they create firms that have a role in helping to connect capital, that capital that wants to be invested. So let's say the UVA investments. Uh, we have a company called Uvemco that runs the UVA endowment. And that company may want to invest in some firms and those investments that they'd like to place in those firms are ones that they'd like to have some help in doing that. They'd like to have some firms that help them figure out where the best places are to put those dollars and where those dollars can help and assist in that economic innovation and growth that we talked about. And so in general, Brad, listeners, that's the notion behind these firms. I could say more that many of them are of a limited time period in terms of their financial structure or their legal structure. But venture capital has tended to mean uh, those types of firm investments that are indeed more innovative, new startup, and um, if I would say risky. Hence, the venture capital notion. The other phrase you'll hear people talk a lot about is private equity. And private equity is a little different, though sometimes these words are used interchangeably. Some in the field will tell you a private equity firm is also deploying dollars to these privately held firms but that a private equity firm might be spending more of its time looking at firms that are already established. So if a business owner that's listening, she needed some money to help grow her seven, eight-year-old firm to the next level, she might have gotten venture capital dollars at the first seven years, but she might need private equity dollars later on. And then there's just a larger umbrella. So we're talking about these being nested in some ways, and that's called asset management. And asset management can mean a lot of different types of assets. It could mean real estate assets. It certainly could mean and does often mean public equities, things that you can find on the exchanges here in the United States and, over, and overseas. It can also mean uh, other types of assets that people might want to trade or want to grow in value. Well, Greg, I appreciate that overview. And I always think about prospective business school students when we have conversations like this, because I, you know you know a little bit about my story. I came from a law school background to, to work at, at Darden Business School environment. And all of a sudden, people were talking about all these industries and jobs and roles I had no idea about. And that was, you know, I came from the law firm, law school, what do lawyers do to this whole new environment? And, you know, it can make you feel a little bit out of place or a lot out of place if people are talking about stuff and they say, this is exactly what I want to do. And it's something you never even heard of. So I, I appreciate, I appreciate your, your sharing that information. And you'd mentioned, you know, so we talked, there's a scholarship component, but you also mentioned that there's support uh, for students through the Breakthrough Scholars Program. I want to talk a little bit 
about that. Um, what does that look like um, for for people who who are breakthrough scholars at Dartmouth? So, Brett, you you've talked so well about the sense that people in business school in general are figuring it out. We know that people are, hey, I'm not sure. I might want to go this way. I might want to go that way. We know that. And we know that there are certain fields that they can find more information about or know more about than others. Venture capital, private equity, or some of the fields that, again, are a mystery for many. So if you're a listener right now and and you're thinking, gee, I, I don't know anything about this industry, that shouldn't deter you from being interested in applying for the Breakthrough Scholars Program. I want to first make sure your listeners know that, Brett. But then secondly, I wanted to say that when you think about uh, this program, we are recognizing that some of the people that are attracted to the field just don't have all the answers yet. I'll go further and say some of the people that are in the field don't have all the answers yet. So what we've brought along with the scholarship are a number of things to buttress the individual's package. We want the person coming out on the back end to be, well, as buffed and sheened and ready to go as we can possibly make it. So we believe that that's a few things. We believe that's a rigorous selection process on the front end. We likewise believe that we want to have educational programs that can generate the types of understanding of the financial and non-financial aspects of these industries. Turns out my colleague, Elena Lutskina, has been a part of what's been launched, which is the Darden Venture Capital Initiative. And I encourage your listeners to read about it, or I encourage you to talk to Elena, Brett, yourself. But that's, so that's a second body of work. Now, on top of those two things, we're also offering curated small group gatherings for the breakthrough scholars and professionals in the field. Some of these are now shaping out to be dinners at private equity firms' uh, locations. Some of these are, because Zoom is a, is a way we can reach across time and space, Zoom calls with women, for example, who are leaders in the industry already. Some of these are case discussions that, again, are for this group. We believe that that will give them depth, knowledge, and network, network ties that will be important as they try to break into this industry. And then we also have this idea of an independent study project each of the breakthrough scholars would do during their second year. One of the things we all face when we go interview is people want to know, well, what do you know about my firm, but also how can you be of help to me? And so our idea is that these independent studies will be ones that will focus on a project, a body of work, a portfolio that each of the breakthrough scholars would have to show to firms. It might be a pitch deck for a certain form of investment. It might be a deep detailed quantitative analysis they've done of two or three companies. And that portfolio that they'll have, they can talk about it when they're interviewing, but they can also show it to some of the professionals as an example of the quality of work they can do that could benefit them were they to join their firm. Well, Greg, I, th- I think of this conversation here is almost part of the conversation, a continuation of the conversation we had with Rodney Sullivan on the Experience Darden podcast. It's, one, it's our most recent episode. It's last week's episode. I feel like one of, one of the privileges that I have is, as you know, 
the host of, of the admissions podcast is I'm learning about all the great things going on at Darden and kind of a front row seat to talk to like really important stakeholders who are, who are doing great things and helping facilitate great opportunities for students and breakthrough scholars. It feels like one of those things, absolutely for not just a scholarship component, but all that, all that support that you just detailed and all the opportunities that come uh, with, with this program. Um, so you, you mentioned sort of next steps, you know, research, you mentioned the website, any other things um, uh, you would recommend for someone who wants a little bit, wants to learn more about the industry or, uh, you know, try out, you know, am I interested in this? Um, wh sure. Where might someone go? You know, I've always said uh, reading is great. When I was young, the internet didn't exist. So the event availability of information you will have on the internet is, is broad. It's not always uh, it's not always as accurate as it could be, and I think we all know that. That's why one of my encouragements is to start early asking and meeting with people who work in these types of industries. So here's what I mean. One of the advantages a young person has is that you can approach a professional and say, hey, I'm not looking for a job but I would like to talk to you about what you've done and how you've done it. It's something I did years ago when I was thinking about getting an MBA and I was thinking about becoming a brand manager. I called up some brand managers. When I was thinking about getting a PhD and becoming a professor, I did the same thing. The first thing I would say is yes, do your research, but second, reach out. Find someone in your local area, find someone in your LinkedIn network, find someone who went to your undergraduate school and say, hey, I see you work in this industry. Could I talk to you? Next, um, I'd encourage you to look at the breakthrough scholars we have at, at Darden and our pilot this year. They're people you could talk to about what they're experiencing and the degree of preparation they may have had or didn't have as they came in. And third, uh, my colleague, Elena Lutskina, and my colleague Robin Swift are both great to talk to about the larger venture capital, private equity, asset management initiatives we have at Darden. I also think a little bit about the clubs and organizations that we have at Darden. We've had um, the Entrepreneurship and Venture Capital Club uh, leadership um, here on the podcast before. We also, on the executive MBA side, interestingly enough, one of the sort of emerging student organizations that we have is a venture capital club. They just had a panel discussion in Roslyn, uh, feels like maybe a couple weekends ago, um, with VC uh, private equity panelists talking <laughs> about the industry, what's going on, um, what they're saying, tips for people who want to break in. Um, it was great to be part of that conversation as someone who's Admittedly, just just learning about all of this myself, and uh, it was great to be able to kind of hear directly from people who work work in the industry every every day. So, Greg, I, I would be remiss um, if we didn't talk a little bit about books. Now, uh, we have done a whole podcast episode about books, um, which is still one of my favorite podcast episodes we've had here on the Admissions Podcast. But I have to ask, what are, what are you reading right now? Well, um, listeners, this is a this is a thing Brett and I do. Uh, we we both really enjoy fiction, and again, it's a little surprising to some. We're business guys. We work in business schools, but we really enjoy uh, reading. And I read books with my children. And I read books with Brett, and I read books with other friends. So um, at the moment. I'm preparing, I'm rereading a book I read years ago. So since you've asked what's sort of that, what's on the nightstand at the moment, 
I'm reading a book called Americana. And I'm reading it because we're going to have a discussion uh, with Darden students on Americana in just a, in November. And it's a book that is an interesting take on what it means to be an expat. And so it's a, it's a book that's about a Nigerian woman living in the United States, living in the Princeton area, going to Princeton, um, and some of her experiences actually, certainly within the United States, but also her experiences and in interactions with Black Americans. We're having this discussion because there have been some interesting discussions here at Darden. Uh, people have wanted to have more discussions on what it means to be American and what it means to immigrate and integrate with American culture. Where's authenticity and where does it lie and how uh, that process can change your views on gender or race and how they're adapted. So we're going to have that discussion in November. And Brad, I think it would be remiss of me not to mention that I think you are preparing to do a very similar type of book talk with our Darden students as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, first of all, I'm really excited about, about your talk. I, I hope to be there in, in November um, and participate. Uh, I, I am also getting organized. I think January is going to be the, be the month for me, just given what we have going on this fall and admissions. But I'm going to talk about the Nickel Boys, which, um, Greg, it's, it's a 180-ish page book. And every time I go back and read that book, something else grabs me. And I noticed something else. I feel like there it's it's seemingly slim, but there's a lot of depth to it. And and for uh, I am just starting to get my head around uh, what I want to talk about. Um, but I think a lot of it will center on the sort of dialogue between the two principal characters in the book, Elwood and Turner, as they talk about the ordering of the world and the sort of tension between optimism, perhaps, is, is one way to think about it, and realism and change versus you know just trying to survive and an individual capacity to kind of push against these sort of broader societal forces and can someone have an impact um, when the world's kind of weighted against you and does it even make sense to try all, all of these kinds of things um, i think it's a very profound book it is obviously a Pulitzer Prize winner, so I'm not the only person to, <laughs> to note that this is an important book, but I think it kind of sneaks up on people because, uh, you know, it's slim, but there, there's a lot going on. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, one of the things about Darden that I've, I've valued as a student and I absolutely value now is that we really are a place that affords an opportunity for a student a professor, staff, to all kind of interact in a less um, structured and less formal and less hierarchical way. I, th I think one of the, probably one of the only reasons, Brett, listeners, I'm a professor now is because of personal relationships I was able to create with other faculty that were here who said, who were the ones that began to, in Elliot Weiss's case, encourage me to write a case, but some others to encourage me to think about getting a PhD. And um, it's the type of thing that I think is unique in schools that breaking down the walls. And that's just what's so exciting.
Well, Greg, I know you've got a lot on your plate. You're a very busy guy, but thank you for always making time for the podcast. It's been great catching up with you here. We talked about it all. I think we talked about your new new role. We talked about all the exciting things that are happening in D.C., talked about Breakthrough Scholars. I still want to do that oral history uh, of Darden in the Washington, D.C. metro area. Uh, so it's still out there for a future podcast. But thank you for coming on the show. Not at all. And and listeners, if, uh, if you're thinking about Darden, um, again, we're a place where we can be connected to you in ways that perhaps may not happen in all the places that we hope it does, but we take it very seriously. So whoever you are, I look forward to meeting you. And that was my interview with Greg Fairchild. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.